0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of QSR Uncut. I am your host, Danny Klein, Editorial Director at QSR Magazine. So Ben is actually not with us this week. He is tied up in a few things, so he will return the next episode, I hope, unless he also disappears. But this week we have a very exciting guest and a fun topic in general. We have Dave McDougall, the CEO of Your Pie. So Dave, I will um, kind of open the floor to let you talk a little bit about the brand you know, I, I think personally, a very interesting space. You know, that fast-fired, customizable pizza world was, you know, really one. you one of the early entries into it, and it, then it just exploded. And then it had its kind of its own COVID uh, challenges compared to some of those big takeout and delivery guys. So we'll get into all those little things. But if you want to just talk about your background, I know it stretches back three decades, and you know, talk a little bit about the brand.
1: Well, listen, Danny. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. And uh, no, listen. It's been an exciting uh, uh, couple years. Um, you know, my background has really been restaurants, food service, and franchising. And like a lot of us in this business, so we all tended to cut our teeth uh, back in the day working in a restaurant, whether that's Washing dishes and bus- busing tables, waiting, cooking, you know, bartending, whatever. And uh, I know there's a lot of folks today that certainly cite those early work experiences as the foundation of, you know, how their careers have gone. So, and I certainly would say that. Uh, I've been with by now a little over three years. Uh, I came on board with Drew French, the founder, uh, Drew, who founded the company back in 2008, and certainly claims that we were the first fast casual down the line, uh, pizza. However, there are a number of others that came shortly thereafter and certainly some very good ones. But, uh, but I, I became involved just with my restaurant and franchising experience to, to really help assist drew, uh, with bringing the brand to the next level and, you know, here we are. Now, there was a little bit of a derailer back in 2020 that thwarted many of our plans. Uh, but I would say through that, we actually have come out of that stronger and better.
0: Yeah, and we'll we'll definitely get into uh, what happened in that stretch. I was actually so what we're doing. Uh, we have a young leaders to watch uh, feature we do every year. and And one of your employees is on there. <laughs> Maybe we won't say who it was just so we could surprise her, but there was something there that she, you know, has been with the company from 15 stores to more than 80, which I thought was really kind of a a crazy thing to consider. I mean, just talk a little bit about the growth uh, part of the brand. You know, obviously we had that kind of situation there in the 2020 and then where it goes from here, but how fast has this uh, concept grown and, and where does it still have, you know, room to get to?
1: Well, it, you know, the, the the biggest part of our growth happened really from 2016 through 2019, and we were pushing about 20 new stores a year at that point, um, which got us up, you know, into the mid 70 open unit range. Today, today we're at uh, 74 open stores, have uh, about 40 uh, in the pipeline, and. But I will say the last couple of years from a franchise development standpoint, we initially pulled back and and really focused on let's make sure we protect what we have and and let's get through this this pandemic and help our franchise owners get through this pandemic.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean okay, so let's let's talk about how it made the brand stronger because I think pizza in those early days was really seen as kind of the golden. You know, child of quick service in terms of the type of cuisine that was, you know, resilient to what was happening in the, you know, pandemic landscape. But um, obviously it was a bit of a different situation if you welcomed most of your business inside the four walls and suddenly you had no dining room. So, I mean, where were you at the beginning? What was that kind of early plunge like? And then what did you have to do to adapt to then turn this conversation in the other direction?
1: Well, you know the old saying "Sometimes you get lucky <laughs> um, when I came on board in two thousand the end of two thousand and eighteen um, the company had already made a decision to move to a new p o s provider uh which was the n c r uh, silver Pro platform and so we really spent a good part of twenty nineteen implementing that at the same time we made changes with our online ordering vendor our loyalty uh, provider, and even as far as our um, resource uh, site that we have for our franchise owner. So we made a lot of change. Some people would have said, man, I had one person say, Dave, that is a lot to do in a short period of time. Uh, It didn't come without its stress uh, and difficulties, but we got it done. And so as we, we went into 2020, kind of part of the plan or the strategy and objectives that year was really how do we leverage this new online ordering tool with a fully integrated uh, uh, ability now with the third party providers to bring things right into the POS versus tablets and phone calls and all that good stuff. Uh, and so that was kind of, we were gonna kind of slow walk that. I One of the things I was trying to be conscious of though, is because of all the change in 19, uh, it, it it had created certainly some difficulty uh, relationship-wise within the franchise community and the franchisor, and certainly we learned a ton what we would do different next time. But that beside the point, um, we we had gotten it done, and and so as we get into 2020, and then all of a sudden it's March of 2020. And our business traditionally has been 80% dine in 20% takeout and delivery. But I would say most of that takeout honestly was people walking into the restaurant saying, I just wanted to go and we're doing it as they walk down the line. Very little was really online ordering and third party delivery. Um, With that said, Obviously, what happened in March of 2020 kind of changed our world. And the, the fortunate thing was our business was deemed an essential service, so we could we could be open. Uh, although there was a lot of trepidation with owners about why do I want to be open? I mean, are we going to get sick? What's going to happen to our teams? You know, our our customers, our families. Uh, but as we got through that, we really pivoted hard to start focusing on, hey, you can still get the great pizza you love and do it via online or do it through one of our third party partners. Uh, And we had the technology to make that happen. And that's what I kind of say. Sometimes you get lucky because we really had some of the most state of the art and advanced systems uh, in place going into this. I couldn't imagine trying to make that change when all the you know all these other this was going on with the pandemic, so so with that um, we were able to. And my big push with the owners is: listen, you got to keep cash coming in the door, and it may not be at the levels you're you're accustomed to, but it's just critical to keep cash flow. Uh, and we'll continue to work through this, but none of us know where this is going. And um, so that was really to me a a, pivot, a really pivotal part for the brand uh and what it's where it's led us today has put us uh a clearly in a much much better place and how we have leveraged the uh how customers want to do business with with digital ordering third party delivery curbside etc
0: yeah you know oddly uh my company was also deemed a essential business <laughs> <laughs> I don't, um, you know, I don't know what the reason for that is exactly. I guess we were providing essential service to somebody, but we were able to stay open throughout too, which was very, uh, very, very interesting. But you know, some stuff you mentioned there, you know, I was I was just at a conference recently, and and one thing that some operators talked about was perhaps the lasting change is, you know, of course, innovation, but maybe more just how fast restaurants and how willing they are to actually make some of these things happen. I think, you know, before, especially in franchise systems, you know, if you wanted to roll something new out, you know, you had to really run it through a lot of different channels and the stage gate and whether or not you can present the ROI to operation. We all just got a lot more adept at going quick with things. And then that seems to maybe be part of our operating playbook moving forward. I mean, does it feel that way that just now when you do want to make an innovation or your technology change that the business is a lot more agile or it's a lot more willing to hear it out? Because you have, even throughout a franchise system, you have all these operators now who have spent two years adjusting seemingly by the hour to whatever mandate or crazy, you know, regulation they had to face. And I guess has just kind of the scope of the industry's innovation cycle really changed, you know, maybe for the better?
1: Well, I, I do. I, I think one of the things that, that obviously the pandemic drove, though, especially in those early days, was the prospect that you could be going out of business. We could all be going out of business and you're fighting yeah. for your life. And that kind of puts a different perspective on, Dang, we we got to do something because otherwise the prospects look pretty bleak. And uh, I think that did kind of open people's eyes and minds to we got to do we're going to be doing some different things, you know. And, and then I think the other thing it 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 helped, you know, I know me realize and I think a lot of our owners is you got to meet the customer where they are and and, and how they want to, to do business with you. And and today it's so much wrapped in technology. It's it's not our choice. It's either you're there, and you're going to benefit from that and le- be able to monetize and leverage that, or and if you're not, then chances are, it's not going to work out for you.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, I blame Amazon for this because,
1: <laughs>
0: and, and you know there there this happened to retail, you know, maybe eight years ago, just this idea that you know, people now expected their in-store experience at any retailer to be as easy as going online and shopping at Amazon. So, you know, Macy's website and Target's website and all these different people now had to be, you know, essentially three clicks to the end. And now because of COVID and the fact that everybody got into mobile ordering restaurants aren't off the hook anymore as much as they used to be where people would say okay i'm coming through this i kind of expect it to maybe not be as good you know isn't really so much the case anymore it it feels like customers expect that amazon convenience with ordering food too now (laughs) which is which is both good and terrifying i guess you know but i think as an operator to your point gives you you know, a lot of opportunity out there to meet the guest places that they were asking to be met before, but maybe necessarily weren't as available. I suppose it's kind of kind of interesting to think about.
1: Well, and and you know, again, I look at technology even as when you think of a franchise system, kind of what's the secret sauce? What's the the reason for being? And then you think about what does the franchisor provide that? is hopefully of value to the franchise owners and technology clearly has risen to the top of that. You know, you, you traditionally think about marketing R and D supply chain uh, and technology back in the day, but now technology is clearly at the top. Uh, I think some of the positives for franchise systems is just the ability to be able to with scale, be able to, you know, help leverage the, the cost of technology. But it's something that we're really grappling with uh, in all facets. But then going back to your, the point you just made, um, I was having a conversation with our, our chief marketing officer and she was sharing the concern of the number of times someone would go into our online platform and they'd get started and then they'd drop out. Well, the good news you're able to track that. You're able to see that. The bad news is okay. What is causing people to give up and not come back? And that goes right back to what you said with the Amazon example. People are if you make it too hard, and it's and 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 people then are just like you know what I'm going to go someplace else. And we've had to start investing time and dollars as to how to streamline the ordering process, how to streamline our our app to make it as convenient and as simple, intuitive as possible for people to be able to transact.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I talked to someone the other day for probably, or listening to a presentation for close to an hour, just on the POS systems and how basically now they have to be looked at as hubs instead of endpoints. (laughs) And it, it was just one of those things I'm sitting there in a room full of people, a lot more intelligent than I am. And, And it it was another one of those examples where I thought, well, you know, the fact people who are in the restaurant industry for a living, you're all a little bit crazy. And I appreciate that about you. But the amount of things that you have to now think about just to run in a restaurant where you're feeding people is astronomically different, you know, in terms of how you have to integrate all these different you know channel points for people because you can't you know have tablets in the back like we used to call tablet hell you know that's really so far behind us right so i mean it's um and it's interesting in a franchise system too because you have all these local owners you're catching up I, i guess as a brand i mean how did you really support operators through this period of transformation and And just keeping them in the loop, you know, from whether it was what's happening in their market to this technology to, you know, giving them some relief perhaps, or how has that relationship strengthened through the past couple of years?
1: Well, and, and again, we, we ran into some real, you know, tough, tough points uh, with that because of, you know, the stress owners were under and, you know, the, the, the prospects of what, might happen to their business, you know, with the decline in sales. I mean, at one point we were down 75% in sales and you're going, well, how long can you survive (laughs) that and continue to pay your bills? Um, You know, and how much longer can that go on? One of the things we did early on, and I'll just say, as it related to the uh, payroll protection program, is that as a management team, we kind of took a divide and conquer approach. And, well, we're not a large system, but this included, you know, the, the senior team. And, and we, we each had um, a select number of franchisees that we were doing regular uh, reach out, phone calls, emails, texts, like daily, weekly. Uh, and then trying to also help them through making sure that they were taking advantage of the programs that that were being brought forward um, and, you know and, and again just to help them get through this and and we did get a lot of great feedback just about it was a very high touch hands-on you know we were having webinars on our, our conference calls almost every other day at the height of this thing and but I really felt you can't over communicate. And as, as, as situations are changing, we need to be putting ourselves out there. And then also brought some experts in that could talk to the owners, you know, from the, on the finance side and how can you deal with, with, you know, how do you deal with your landlords and approach people not in a, you know, in a more collaborative way, not an aggressive way. And, and so there was, there was a number of things that way that we did to, to try to help them through. Well, at the same time, okay, we're, you know, as a brand, what do we do to, to try to start getting traffic back? Um, one thing though, that became very abundantly clear is our business had changed. Uh, it had gone from 80-20 <laughs> to now it was 60-40, oh, you know, takeout delivery curbside. And um, from our standpoint, it was, well, how do we, as this we get through this, how do we keep that? How do we make sure we don't lose those customers and at the same time kind of restore and rebuild the dine-in business? And that's been the real focus for really the last uh, 12 months.
0: Yeah. So I guess take us into what that looks like, because I think that's where the industry is at as a whole right now. And one of the reasons why you see so many, Brands doing better than they were doing in 2019 because they have been able to hold some of that as the dine-in comes back, and they, you know, they gained a lot of new customers through the the digital channels. You know, when maybe people found them through third party, or maybe they just went online and realized how easy it was and decided to add that to their occasion. Said whatever it might be, you now have these. Uh, to your point, the 60 40 or whatever it might be, and if you add that dine in, then of course you're you're pushing above where you were. So I guess, how are you keeping those guests from just saying, okay, I'm going to use this because I'm quarantined and can't leave the house to thinking, you know, this is actually something, you know, I want to keep doing. And then I also want to, you know, come back into the restaurant too.
1: Yeah, no, we, and and we were one of those companies that had a better, you know, 2021 was better than 2019. And I can tell you that 2022 is been significantly better than 21 and and that's on the transaction side as much as the sales side yeah um, there's no question that the the for us that, that you know the takeout delivery component has been a big change and our res- restaurants were originally designed for dine in and we've had to make uh, a number of changes to how we handle those takeout delivery, third-party delivery orders, which we've done. Um, But um, one of the things that we also did is how we segment our guest feedback reporting, where we really hone in on, did you dine in or was it takeout delivery? And then evaluating that experience and being able to see where, you know, right now I would tell you we've gotten better with the takeout delivery curbside but it still tends to, uh, to rank lower in terms of overall satisfaction than the dine-in, which kind of makes sense. But it's been a big push of ours to understanding and for the owners to understand, regardless if someone's standing in front of you or it's on their cell phone, they're still getting an impression of the brand. <laughs> and, 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 future decisions will be impacted based on that impression and and it's really been trying to educate everyone how important both that digital impression is to that in person uh impression
0: what uh what do you think about the future of curbside i i was telling someone the other day that i'm somewhat skeptical that it reaches the height that maybe we thought it was going to reach i still think it's incredibly viable especially for you know, brands that do a lot of dining business and especially for casual dining chains. But, you know, for some of maybe the larger quick serves, you know, those with drive-throughs, it's a less labor friendly occasion to me than walking in and grabbing it off a shelf. So I've started to see a few brands kind of move signage and customers in that direction in an effort to Say, you know, curbside is here if you want it, but we may not be going as full throttle into it from an advertising perspective as we were before just because we have to consider running someone out in the middle of a Chicago winter, or whatever it might be. And you got to dedicate an employee to that. Maybe they don't want to do it. I, you know, who knows? But that to me has been an interesting shift in the last couple months. I, you know, I heard kind of uh, one of the bigger burger brands saying, you know, we're pulling back on it. Um, I mean, what, how is that? I, you know, for your business, I feel like it's probably a little bit more fitting given the fact that, you know, you do have so much dining, but you know, what what are just your thoughts generally on that topic?
1: Yeah, it's at this point, I kind of look at it as it's certainly an opportunity. I don't know if it's an across the brand opportunity. And there's really a few reasons for that is we've had some landlords who just well, we're not gonna let you dedicate space because we don't own the buildings or the, or the or the or the around surrounding area. It's common parking. And some have been very adamant. Or, well, if you want a couple spaces and we're gonna amend your your lease and then you're gonna pay for them. <laughs> right. Um, so that's been that's one thing. Nice. Yeah, the the other with the staffing difficulties, especially now it is starting to abate a little bit. I mean I am seeing and hearing that things are getting better but there was a point there if you were going to be down to having to run with minimal staff that was one of the first things that had to go because you couldn't afford to have someone leaving the line and running outside Um, and uh, and it didn't seem that customers were too inconvenienced by that to say okay I'll turn off the car and walk in and just get it uh, and I think some—that's where a lot of operators said, "Well, it didn't seem to be a problem," <laughs> but I, and I think customers were understanding of the staffing difficulties uh, that a lot of restaurants uh, had been dealing with. So, you know, I think it's an option, Danny. I—I I don't, you know, when I kind of hear about it, well, it, it kind of takes the place of the drive-through. I'm not sure I agree with that, but it could certainly be an option to counter a drive-through and. You know, even uh, we, we don't have any drive-through locations. We are looking at uh, at testing that notion uh, uh, later this year uh, as kind of a, quote, a pickup window. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. But most of our our restaurants tend to be located in strip centers. And I can just, you, as you probably are aware, those, those end caps and strip centers that have drive-throughs are premium real estate
0: (laughs) yeah you know to me the the pickup window is the uh drive-through equalizer more so than curbside going forward um because i I think one of the things about curbside is a consumer for that type of consumer that's really into the no contact no touch uh basically don't want to see or speak to anybody you know version of eating (laughs) you know that that actually is a little bit of friction because you got to open your window you've got to tell them you're there you know there was some technology to kind of hit a button but that wasn't you know everywhere so a lot of times you got to pull up you got to call a lot of things that people just didn't want to do whereas the pickup window you know Texas Roadhouse throwing those on the side of course what Chipotle has done i mean that's you know that mobile order ahead pickup window occasion is really an amazingly convenient thing and but to your broader point the real estate involved in that's a lot more complicated so you know and as someone once told me our drive-thru really did well last year so we want to build more of them but so does everybody else right and, you know that's that's kind of where we're at and the landlords know that and so the people who are charging for it so you know kind of to another broader topic and you know something with kind of was omnipresent these days is you know, inflation and supply chain and and kind of what it's doing, the prices. I mean, how are you all dealing with that? I mean, if you had to, you know, I think consumers have been pretty uh, similar to labor, have been understanding of of how restaurants have had to price their menus. But, you know, do we get to a ceiling at some point? You know, is gas the thing that pushes us over the edge? You know, I, I don't know the answer to that yet, but how are you all thinking about it?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, there's certainly some headwinds right now with with you know fuel prices and uh, commodities, some of the commodity prices, supply chain. We certainly have taken some price, but more you know more focused on our our part is really on transactions. Which, um, from a transaction standpoint, you know we are seeing positive growth. So to me, that's a great sign. I'm a little worried of when does all of this where they hit the consumer and they go, stop, wait, I I don't have as much expendable income now. Um, Because the the gas price increase was very fast. I mean, that came on really, really quick. Uh, We also are in the business of making dough. And we're certainly feeling the squeeze on flour. Uh, I had kind of thought, you know, coming into this year, we were going to see a little relief on on some of the commodities like wheat, and obviously the opposite things happen now. And, and so that's something we're having to contend with too, and have been kind of absorbing some of those increases. Um, but we're now being forced and faced to have to start passing some of those costs along uh, to the restaurants, which in turn doesn't help them, and that ultimately finds its way to the consumer. Uh, I'm just hoping this wheat thing, because that that's going to affect a lot of businesses. Um, you know that this potentially yeah. can settle down, but I I don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I I think it's just another example of the amazing amount of things that you have to consider. And, you know, is that playing a role in growth too? I mean, it it seems to me, I keep hearing these projections from brands. We're going to open a thousand units. We're going to open a thousand more than we planned, you know, and and it's, uh, I love writing those stories. It's a great sign of optimism, but I often look at the, you know, just the landscape and first of all, real estate, and then also the cost of building and all these things. I mean, is that something as a franchise organization that you're really, cognizant of right now because I'm sure the operators are in terms of you know re-upping and deciding I mean getting equipment taking you know 12 months to get a walk-in cooler and all these kind of things I mean how is that affecting just you know development right now
1: no they, the the last couple of years have definitely for us uh, been impacted in terms of franchise recruitment and new store openings and I will tell you my, our focus was really let's kind of protect home base first and let's make sure that the the stores we have get through this. Uh, and so our store count has remained flat uh, the last couple of years, but honestly, that's a pretty big win in my book because I, I mean, I had anticipated that wasn't going to be the case and that we were going to have some store losses. On the flip side is we're now kind of getting growth going and We've sold some new deals already this year. We've got a number of stores in development. We're seeing about a 20-25% increase in construction costs, uh, and then we are having some of the the same issues with equipment and the and the and the, the lead time it's taking to get equipment. Uh, and uh, you know, and then and and what and I guess the one thing out of all of this pandemic. I would have thought that, you know, rents would have come down, new leases would have been more favorable. That is not what's happened so far. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. I was, I was just chatting with someone about that in California. (laughs) Um, And it's uh, so, you know, a lot of times people just draw parallels between this and the great recession. But what the number one difference to me is what you just said, because, that was the opposite back then. So what ended up happening is you had all these new fast casuals kind of spring into the mix. And what you have now instead is KFC growing, (laughs) you know, you know, because that's what ends up happening based on just the scale and the leverage and the ability to, you know, kind of help counter some of this with just pricing power and what have you. And that may be what ends up happening in the short term is the, you have these big chains getting a lot bigger and less entrepreneurial type concepts spring out of uh COVID. And is that what the consumer wants? I have no idea. <laughs> but it seems to be what's kind of happening right now, at least. You know. So no, and no, I
1: think you're right. The smaller and especially the the independence really I think took the biggest hit through this. Uh, Because they didn't have the resources to lean back, or or some of the experience, and 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 it just made it that much harder for them um, to deal with, especially with you know even for the the restaurants through the the last holiday season and dealing with kind of the surge and all that, and all of a sudden you've got one of your busiest times of the year over the holiday, people pulling back and well I'm not going to be going out and uh, we, we read a lot about how that's, that hurt a lot of independents and in yeah. restaurant companies.
0: Yes, for sure. I, I agree. Well, um, Dave, before we let you go, I just want to let you, uh, talk to people a little bit about what the brand has going on, you know, where you all are headed, you know, if franchisees are listening to this, maybe why they should look, <laughs> look you up further. Um, also where they could find you and, Can I just talk a little bit about, you know, what's coming next? You know, I know we mentioned that sales are even better than last year, which were better than two years ago. And of course, that's all very exciting things. But, you know, what's kind of on deck for, you know, your pie as we head into what hopefully is a really great spring here?
1: So just just as far as kind of where we're headed, we're right now undertaking what we call our brand evolution project. Which is, which is really a repositioning of the brand. It's, it's clarifying a clear uh, brand, brand position, uh, a new store design, a remodel program. Uh, all that is something that is well in the works right now. Uh, how we better accommodate the takeout delivery business in our restaurants, the back of house setup, the kitchen layout, uh, and uh, we'll be opening our first prototype uh, here this summer. We'll be doing some remodels uh, the second half of this year and kind of an unveiling of kind of Your Pie 2.0, the the new version of what Your Pie is going to be. But it will always be about the about great pizza, and we all know that pizza makes life better. You know what I mean, when's pizza not just a good thing to have around? And uh, really, really leveraging that. And then at the same time, you know, continuing to advance our our uh, digital uh, investments and how we improve uh, that customer experience when they do business with us digitally, uh, our social media, uh, marketing and and those types of things. So, uh, you know, I feel like through this, we put a lot of good uh programs in place and we'll continue to leverage those. And at the same time, adding additional resources to the franchisor, or bring, bringing in, you know, uh, bringing in a ex- experience and expertise in critical areas to help us uh, continue to grow the company. But, but we want to grow smart and we want to, to grow, Profitably and and ensure that the owners that are coming in and the ones that even the existing ones that are opening stores uh, are opening successful stores. Uh, Like you said, I'm not one about big audacious, you know, calling out big numbers. I want to just make sure what we're opening is working and the folks that are, are operating them are profitable.
0: I, I think that they probably appreciate that, <laughs> you know, instead of some giant uh, general uh, numbers. There, well, you know, Dave, thank you so much for sharing the the brand story and your thoughts on the industry with us. You know, we'll continue to follow along, and of course, for those who read QSR, you'll notice that Dave publishes articles quite often in our uh, <laughs> our website. So, you know, we we always appreciate your insight always good from the operator's uh, perspective versus, you know, ours, of course. So thank you again so much, Dave, for joining us. And, um, yeah, we'll we'll be following along.
1: Well, and, again, you can find us at, at yourpie.com. <laughs>
0: <laughs> An easy site to remember. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> All right, well, thank and everybody listening. Yeah, thank you again, as always, and, you know, we'll see you next time.